And hello, 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 and welcome again to another episode of Sister to Sister. I'm Trish Carr with Women's Prosperity Network, and it is my pleasure to bring you on a regular basis stories that make a difference, stories that you can experience when you hear them. And the idea of the show, Sister to Sister, is me sitting down with my cup of coffee or my glass of water or whatever, and just having some conversation with one of my sisters of color. And, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, I always see a lot of debate, especially on social media, around white privilege, around discrimination, what systemic racism looks like, whether it even exists from some people's point of view. And here's the reality of it. The reason we do this show is because you may be able to argue on the side of one of those concepts, but you can't argue with someone's experience. And that's what this show is about, is bringing you the experience of people of color who live it every day. And today I'm so excited to have with me Michelle Bird. Hi, Michelle. Hi, good morning, Trish. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love your background. It looks like you're at the beach. It's my favorite thing. Well, I, I just believe right now with everything that's going on in the world and a lot of people not being able to travel, it's always good to have something good and visual to look at. So yeah. we're actually on the beaches of Mexico. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, you know about travel because if you don't know Michelle, she has the best business. She is this, uh, the owner operator of Favored Travel and Tours, which is a full service travel, transportation and event planning agency. And I love your tagline, which is, we specialize in anything but ordinary. And my favorite uh, vacations by Dream Vacations where dreams become realized. I can't wait to travel again. I'm so excited about it. Are you seeing it start to open up? Yes. As more shots are getting in the arms, people are calling and it's, it's wonderful because they're allowing them to go ahead and plan and push the trips off to 2022, get the insurance so that they can plan now, start booking and they don't have to travel right now. And I think it makes people feel like they're actually getting a sense of normalcy back because they're able to get back to things that they were doing before. And once you start planning something, it makes it feel more real. Yeah, it does. And even if you can't travel till next year, you know, there's a, it, when you know you have a vacation planned, you kind of live into it. You know, you're always looking for what am I going to do on vacation, no matter how far away it is. So it, li it definitely lifts the spirits. So that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Really glad that's to hear so that. Cool. And I'm so thrilled to have you with me today. You know, you are very active in your community. Um, Michelle is in the Tallahassee area. She's a graduate of Florida State University. And go Knowles. Yeah, go <laughs> Knowles, right? Go Knowles. Um, she's also a current Big Ben Northwest Florida Regional Board member of the Florida State University Black alumni. So she's very active in the community. And she's the current National Scholarship Chairman, which I did not know, so that's very interesting. You know, one of the, um, the things that when we were talking about being on the show, I was so excited to hear about your background in your family. Your mom was a civil rights legend. She's in the Civil Rights Hall of Fame and 
your grandfather was a change maker who was instrumental in igniting the movement that became the Black Panther Party, correct? Yes, in that area, the Lowndes County Freedom Movement Organization later became uh, renamed to the Black Panther area, the Black yeah. Panther Party for that area, yes, ma'am. And you know, one of the things that I've been seeing um, is the reformation of the Black Panther story with the Chicago 7 movie that's on Netflix right now, also with Jesus and the Black Messiah, which is on HBO. I don't know if you've seen that movie yet. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's an amazing movie about Fred Hampton, who was the organizer um, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the many uplifting, wonderful, humanitarian things that the Black Panther Party was really about is seen in that movie, as well as the demonization of the Black Panthers. That's thus the, the whole uh, title is Judas and the Black Messiah. So the Black Messiah was the terminology used by the FBI after MLK was murdered, they right. were concerned about there being another black messiah. Right. And Fred Hampton was the, the next black messiah. And unfortunately for him at that time, the FBI didn't like that. So literally it's a very disturbing picture because it shows how the FBI systematically murdered him in his bed because they were concerned about his power. So when you told me about your grandfather and the Black Panthers, I, I was thinking, you know, it's time to reform the image of the Black Panthers. And I think that's really happening. Are you seeing that kind of, since it's in your background, I wonder, you know, what do you know about that, if anything? Well, I think a lot of it has changed and the imagery has come full circle. And if we look at some of the movements that are out now, particularly with the Black Lives Movement, a lot of people get caught up in the people that are taken to the streets in the writing, but they miss the whole point of what the reason that the movement started, which was to combat the, and draw attention to the senseless death of young Black men and Black women. Right. Sandra Bland yeah. was, she was, she died in police custody as well. And there are other women. So it wasn't about, I think you first have to look at the intent of the organization and the Black Panthers, although some people think, believe they were very militant, they had a cause and their intent was not to do harm or violence. It was just to bring up exact change. And I've seen a lot of different organizations that are, sometimes you have to speak a little louder and you have to you know, be a little sterner in order to get your, your point across because one of the biggest problems, the reason why we can't have these conversations and we can't exact the change is because we first have to have the acknowledgement. They have to see it and know that it's a problem and everyone has to acknowledge that it's a problem in order for it to be to start changing. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, and, you know, we had a big flurry of activity last year with 
and it was in the at the beginning of the pandemic where people were on the streets and Black Lives Matter was being represented and many people were out on the streets. And now it's quieter. It's a little quieter. So one of the reasons that I want to do this broadcast on a regular basis is to keep the attention on the issue of racism and to invite people to look at their own their own racism and identify because you know the worst are progressives like me you know the, those of us who think oh i'm not prejudiced and i don't have any racism but the reality is the more i talk to people the more i have all these unconscious biases i didn't know about so you as you're a community volunteer too and you work with nonprofits right Yes, ma'am. Yeah, what kind of um, nonprofits are you working with? At-risk youth. I also sit on a committee, I work with the review team that goes around and we assist and look at the grants with, we facilitate the grant cycle for the city and the county. We do the site visits and once they, uh, they do their grants, they turn in the grants will decide unanimously if they are trying to, trying to say it where it's not. With nonprofits, you have to be very careful because you don't want to offend anyone. And particularly with the pandemic and a lot of budgets have been cut. Yeah. And a lot of disparity. And some of these nonprofits, like the Boys and Girls Clubs or Boy Scouts of America, or you have things that are with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, where these are the only lifelines that some of these at risk children actually have to be able to be exposed to mentoring and to be able to go places and do things. And that's one of the reasons that my business, I work with nonprofits and I offer grant writing services for those if they need events or travel or what have you and they don't have a sponsor and I try to find that so that they can be able to do these things. So that's what I do is I go and we do the site visits and we determine if they're able to actually be able to manage these this money effectively and if they are, that they're going to be doing something that's going to be promising or that's going to help the community and a certain, you know, different demographics. So. That's, first of all, I honor you for doing that. So many people just talk about um, what needs to change and what needs to happen, but you're actually doing it. And you, you come from a legacy of that, right? Your mom Oh, was yes. your mom was amazing when I when I, I looked her up obviously and Lillian McGill is her name and she was she still is she's still she's living a pistol. <laughs> she's a pistol right yes she was uh so instrumental in in Lowndes County in Alabama of moving things and making things happen and she um she was she took part in the bus boycott in Montgomery, right? Which was she in did. 1955 and 56, which meant she had to walk to work every day, sometimes miles. I don't know how far she had to go, but if you've seen the movie, The Help, that was Michelle's mother. 
was one of those domestic workers who decided she was not going to get on the bus no matter what. And she also, the whole story about how um, she, your brother was one of the first to integrate their high school. Hanville High School, yes. Yeah, and your mom, <laughs> there was a story, tell the story about your mom and the gun and all of that. Oh my goodness. My mother was determined to make sure that these children were able to be able to get to this school and they had to request, had to petition in order for them to be able to even have this opportunity. So she actually followed behind and escorted the bus and they were packing. <laughs> they, they were packing because they were, they were packing. They, you were, know, they, they weren't sure guarding it and holding it around. No, they were. They, they wanted to make sure that everyone arrived safely and they had all of the opportunities afforded to other children, so. Yeah, she was something. And she even quit her job at the- she worked Department the, of Agriculture. Yeah, so that she could go door to door recruiting people for the movement seven days a week, which is incredible. The right. other thing, she was really amazing and your, your grandfather as well. So she also took part and she put her name on a lawsuit you know about that I as did. well. What's the story about that? Well, what they wanted to do was to, to spread it across the different participants in the movie so that everything wasn't under one person's name. So she was the one that actually did sued that sued, sued for that particular case. And then they had one of my cousins, Gardenia White, also was one of the, the big cases as well that was down there. So it went just across the board because she worked a lot with Stokely, Mr. Uh, the late Stokely Carmichael. Um, she was very, very close with Let's Make Good Trouble, the late Congressman John Lewis, um, the late Bob Manns, and a lot of different other people that were, she knew Mrs. Coretta Scott King and a lot of the other different intricate parties, Fred Abernathy and just goes, the list goes on and on and on. And she actually worked with these people and they came in and out of their homes. And she had a nickname Tweety because she would hear them the, and there are documentaries about it where she explains why she was given that nickname and she would get the news out you know, when they needed to do something and they needed to mobilize. And that was one of the things. And she was the, she was the permanent secretary when they did the Lowndes County Co-op. And she was, you know, one of the uh, first black notaries and she registered, they worked back in March of 1965 with registering over a hundred people to vote in March they believe it was March 17th, 1965, during that week, they had several different things that they worked on and she was very active in a lot of that stuff. So she is in history books and she's still getting, she actually received another civil rights accolade last year and they always refer to her as a civil rights legend. And that's where she got that from. And she's had the inductions for the civil rights the Hall of Fame and different other things. So she's very active and she's very well still with her faculties. I, we, she and I were speaking last night at, about some of the details of things and she remembers them visit, vivid, vividly as if they were last week or yesterday. 
I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet she went through quite a lot, a lot. And you're picking up the mantle. You know, you're making a difference in your community. What What do you see in terms of, you know, let's, so that's what's what in the past, but let's get back to today because while there have been major strides, it's sort of like having a baby, you know, you push and you push and then you let go and then there's a back, it falls back, right? So why in, in 2021 are we still talking about the Civil Rights Act of 1964? It's like, why is it that we're still trying to protect those rights so many years later? And, you know, people say, well, there's no such thing anymore as, as systemic racism. Everything's been purged. And that is that your experience? No, absolutely not. And, you know, last year was a very important year for women with the, the, the anniversary of suffrage. But what a lot of people fail to realize is that that right did not come for black women, women of color until the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Correct. So although we applaud that some women had the right to vote, it wasn't equal and across the board, just as a lot of things aren't, there's a lot of racial disparity with a lot of things today. And we're still going back with the problems with the voting and with now you see that Georgia, for instance, in the news yesterday, they were saying that they have legislation where they're trying to roll back some things for the absentee ballot. And that you, you know, there are certain things that they wanna be groundbreaking because of the way that the election of 2020 happened and the two congressional seats, the two Senate seats that they, um, with, um, uh, Reverend, right. uh, Reverend Warnock and John Ostoff, yes. And so they're looking to do some different things. And it also brings, it, it's all kind of full circle because some of these reforms, if you look at them, they're going back to some of the things that they were fighting for back in the 60s. Yes. And, you know, there's an old proverb that those that forget the past are destined to repeat it. And I think that a lot of times that we've become so complacent that we've just assumed that we don't acknowledge it. We see little things happening. And one of the biggest things with them, when you were saying about that you're wanting to shine a light on uh, systemic racism and everything. And I think one of the biggest things is, is that we need to first acknowledge it and do a serious self-reflection. And I've had friends and I grew up being a lot, oftentimes the only uh, black child in organizations and in neighborhoods and different things. And the, the, the bottom line is I've had people tell me, and I have some really good friends, I, I love them to death. And they'll say things that I know that they don't in their hearts mean anything, but they can be misconstrued as offensive. Well, I couldn't possibly be racist because I have black friends or I don't see color. Well, if you don't see that I'm a black woman, then you don't see me. And in order for you, the change and things to start happening, we need to first acknowledge that there is a problem. We need to have the conversation. We need to do self-reflection and everyone needs to take small incremental steps because it's a problem that needs to be. And the problem is oftentimes that it's not important to everyone. 
you know, if you're living in a country club area, in an area that has a country club, or you're living in a two, $2.1 million home, then you're not going to be very apt to be concerned about little Johnny or Susie that's living in the local inner city projects. And that's, you know, you may not think that you're, that it's anything or it's systematic or it's anything that, but it's the biases and the things that you're afforded white privilege because you may go into a place, into the mall and walk around and not be, you may walk in the mall and see something and actually, and I've, I, case in point, I was in a store about a year and a half ago and there was a lady, she was walking around and she was dressed nicer and she didn't have any, she didn't get pick up a basket. So she just started putting things like in her purse or in her pocket and everything. The staff didn't say a thing to her. Now, when she oh, got to the white woman, yes, ma'am, she, she was, she was white. When she got up to the register, nothing was said. They just relied on her to be honest and to pay for everything. But now the likelihood of, you know, and she, something may have been forgotten, you know, and people who've ever worked at Walmart, I know that they used to have this thing where they used to train them and said, don't forget Lisa and Bob. Bob is bottom of the basket. You know, you always see the, the clerks licking up under the bottom of your basket. And then if you purchase a suitcase or something like that, I've been in the store and seen them where they don't open certain people's bags. They're supposed to open, Lisa is look inside always. Oh, you know, and I've always, and I've seen this and I wonder why is it that some people, they'll follow around the store and I've, you know, seen where people have come in. Miss Oprah Winfrey, do you remember when she went when she went out of the country and she was dressed and she wasn't dressed like she normally is, and how they treated her? And you know, so it's it's all in what your appearance is, or and a lot of times these privileges are different if you have money. I went to Poland back in. 2013 and I was there for a week in different cities in Poland and I had never been to Poland obviously and to be honest I don't think I'll ever go back the the whole time that we were there my nephew and I were the only two people of color there now we saw posters of Algero we saw posters of Winton and Bradford Marcellus and different other celebrities that you know were of color, but they, the law enforcement followed us constantly, and it was always like I almost had to always have my hand on our passports, and it was just it was a very uncomfortable experience. And then we actually went into when we were at the rail station when we came into Warsaw, I went into one of the little shops in there to get some, get a bottle of water. And the lady in there, she used a racial slur, you know? And oh, I, wow. I just remember thinking, you you got to be kidding. You know, we had been to Germany and, and my nephew enjoys checkpoint, checkpoint Charlie and he bought a piece of the rock, you know, got a piece of the wall and, and everything. But for it to be 2013 and then to still I mean, she just blatantly said it. It wasn't like she was, I mean, she was very, very adamant about it. We hadn't done anything to her. We were visiting. 
and this was something and all we did was go and then I gave her the you know the money and she took the money the change and she took it and threw it on the counter and she did a gesture as if she wanted to spit on us wow and I just I remember telling her I said now I know you understand this is universal if you spit on me it's going to be a problem (laughs) you know and you know and of course, the Polish language is Germanic based, so I was able to communicate with her some. But after I told her that, she kind of straightened up and flew right. But for it to be someone is visiting and I'm coming in your store as a customer, and for you to say something like that, this is something that, you know, this happens in America. It doesn't, you don't have to go halfway around the world for that to happen. We still have this going on in 2021. And it's, the, the biggest problem is, is that we need to acknowledge it. And once we acknowledge it, do a self-reflection, you know, and then after we do that, we need to be conscious of it and make a conscious effort to move the needle, to start moving towards the change. And that's the problem. It's, it, if it doesn't directly affect you, a lot of times people just don't seem to care. And that- And, and we see that with lots of things you know right now the the, just the debate about whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask to get a vaccine not get a vaccine that goes to the same um feeling that we're not all in this together right there's that you know and it's always been like that and you know you say that that you know if you live in a, a a million dollar mansion you know you may not care about people that aren't like you but even if they do, even if they do, there's some kind of a relatedness that could never be there, right? Because I, you know, we don't walk in each other's shoes. The only way to do that is to hear each other's tales and to listen to each other's experience. And, and that's the most important thing is to just get that we all live in a different experience and to, to learn as much as we can about each other. And Michelle, what you're doing in your community to work with um, youth. Now we use the term at-risk youth. So what what percentage of those? So that would be people on, how do you determine who's a low, um, uh, an at-risk youth? How's that determined? Typically we look at children that are from single family homes or they're, attending schools or they live in areas that are at or below the poverty level yeah or they have had some behavioral issues or society feels that they are more likely to go to prison than to go to the university yeah so these are the things that we look you know we generally look at and these children oftentimes have not had anyone there to give them the support because a lot of times these these homes are run by single parents and the mother is is faced with the decision whether to try to work possibly two jobs to be able to feed her to feed her children and to pay her bills or to stay home and and try to and not pay her bills and live off of the system or you know and possibly see that they have some kind of a more influence and footprint on the legacy or the the rearing of their children. And it's just, it's so sad that in the African-American community that around 
between the ages of 10 to 12, oftentimes with preteens or adolescents, a lot of families have to do what we call the talk. And it's that they have to, particularly when they have young males, they have to explain to them about racism, society, and how to interact with law enforcement. And you know, when when you're when the police officer asks you a question, yes or no, sir, if you're pulled over, hands on the wheel, don't make any certain movements. I'll always ask permission if they ask you for your ID or your insurance. I'm reaching for it. Is it okay? Always. You know, and these are things that they just really shouldn't have to do. And oftentimes that's not the threat. Sometimes when you hear of some of these, these officers getting hurt, the threat isn't the, 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 the threat that they perceived it to be. It's someone that was a low risk that they perceived to be a low risk that's actually perpetrating the harm to them. Yes. And, and that's, that's sad because that's society. And that's something that black women deal with. And it's, you know, across the, across the boards, we have that and we have, you can look at black women and how they are, women of color are disappearing and getting harmed, being abducted. And it's, they don't get the same media attention, the outlets, the rewards. It's, it's just not, it's not something that it's called attention as if someone were to snatch someone that was rich or someone that was, you know, that was not, that was a, not of color. You know, it's just, it's a sad day because everyone should be valued. You're just as important to your mother as I am to my mother. There is no apples, you can't compare the two, there's it's apples and oranges. And you should be, you shouldn't think that because you, you have, your skin pigment is lighter or you don't have any, that your life is, is more valuable than mine. And that's, that's a problem that we have in this society and it just needs to change. And not everyone is like that. You know, some of my closest friends are from different ethnicities. And that's, that's the way that you learn people is because you have to get to know them and you have to interact with them. If you ostracize yourself and you stay over in a corner, you never get to learn the other one. You know, and that's one of the things that they teach when you're trying to, with strategy and war, you always know your enemy. You keep your enemy close. You know, you think you keep your friend close, but no, you keep your enemy because you need to know exactly how they think and how they move. And then until you perceive them not to be a threat. And that's the thing. It's that you, when, you be, when you befriend people of other ethnicities, you see there is no threat. You see that all the things you believed were not true. I'll never forget. So I was married to a Jewish man uh, in my first marriage. And I will never forget that we met a man who lived in the backwoods of Tennessee. That's the only term I can use to kind of crystallize. And he literally, no kidding, thought my husband had horns because he heard stories about Jews. So I, you know, I have, I can see, I can just see how these kinds of things are perpetrated. And I honor you, Michelle, for trying your best to make a difference, for working with those at-risk youth, for being a part of the scholarship program that determines who gets to go to school, for all of the things you're doing in the community and for sharing your truth today. 
I really appreciate you very much. What do you say to people? You know, you talked about um, having awareness, you know, and really looking at as we finish up today, what would be a call to action for people who are not of color to get clear, to get to see better? What would you suggest people do? Well, as you always say, it's just a conversation. I think we need to first agree that there is a problem, acknowledge it, and then we need to do a self-reflection to see what we're doing wrong or how we can participate or if we're contributing to what's to, to things not moving, moving like they should. And then we need to be prepared to sit down and have the conversation no matter, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, it is. Oftentimes, a lot of organizations and employers, they will overlook things they'll see and don't see, and they don't want to act on them because it's uncomfortable. And until it hits their organization or someone files something with, with the EEOC or you know some kind of discrimination or with the ACLU or something, until it touches home with them, they just turn a blind eye. The blind eye. So I think it is very important for us to be able to recognize it, prepare, be be mindful, open-minded, be ready to start the conversation. Don't stop the conversation when it starts to get uncomfortable. You have to persevere. Yeah. And just keep forging ahead and take small into small increments of, of just small steps because as they say Rome wasn't built in a day racism systemic racism and biases weren't created in a day they they've been going on for hundreds of years they've gotten better but then we we've gone backwards some in the last few years so we're a strong nation we're one of the strongest nations in the world and we are resilient and we can bounce back and we just need to make sure that we start having the conversation and do what we need to do and everyone participate to make this world better. Amen, my sister. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I so my appreciate pleasure. you. Thank you all for watching today. Thank you for opening your hearts and your minds to what we possibly don't understand simply because we were socialized as white. So thank you for taking the time to listen and thank you for taking the time to consider how you can be the change. Michelle Burt, I appreciate you. This is Trish Carr from Women's Prosperity Network with Sister to Sister. I'll see you again soon. Thank you again, Michelle. Thank you.